Hello there, boys and girls, and welcome to another episode of We Got This Podcast. Today, I'm talking to David Tomas, who is the CEO of CyberClick. But as you will find out in a short while, the title CEO does not stand for what you would normally imagine that it stands for. But... That's all in due course. CyberClick is a tech company specializing in digital marketing, but we're not uh, so much interested in what they do, but how they do things. And uh, David shares with us a lot of information around their culture and how they do things. David enjoys speaking about decision-making, creativity and innovation, personal and professional fulfillment, and most of all, happiness at work. And this is what we talk about most about today. It's how people get fulfillment from work. How can we as leaders and individuals as well create better environments, better cultures for us to enjoy and be fulfilled by what we do on a day-to-day basis? Because we spend so much time at work with the people around us, we might as well make it a good positive environment. And we've got more influence over that than we realize. And we don't even have to be a leader in the traditional sense, a manager with people reporting to to him or her to be able to do that. We talk a lot about values, why they're important. And David shares with us some of the values that CyberClick has and how they feed into their culture. That, that That's what's driving them, how they screen for that in their process of recruiting people and what happens when people join the team, how that's being uh, monitored, assessed, or whatever word you want to use here. It's an absolutely fascinating discussion with a person who's clearly really, really passionate and lives and breathes what he does and what he enjoys. And and actually, as again, as you'll find out, has been with him, has been part of him as a person from the very early days, from the time when he was little. Here's my conversation with David Tomas. Enjoy. We Got This showcases individuals and organizations that create people-focused workplace cultures to help it become the norm rather than the exception. It's something that will require a mindset shift and probably not something that any of us can do alone. But together, together, we got this. I've actually been thinking about when's the last time I had a CEO as a, as a guest. And I've realized that it's been uh, a while. I need to actually go back through my notes, which is great to have you here, first of all. But second of all, it doesn't really change how I start this show, uh, because whether you're a CEO, whether you're head of people, or whether you're an individual contributor, you were always little. You were always, you always had dreams of what you wanted to be when you grew up. So the question remains the same for you, David. What did you want to be when uh, you were little? Yeah, just let me s- summarize something before. I mean, I don't like to use the title CEO, neither. I change it on my LinkedIn. It says chief empathy officer, because I need, I think CEOs should have empathy. So for me, that's a reminder that uh, there's no CEO title. We try to be titleless at CyberClick. Now, going back to when I was little, I mean, I just wanted to be happy. And, and I do remember creating something. And it could be a company, it could be anything. I mean, I studied uh, engineering, so it could be, but I, I knew since I was little that I want to do something uh, that I enjoy and, and at the end brings something tangible to the world. So very, very, very broad in a sense, not a specific kind of dream as most kids do. And says, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be uh, a veterinarian. I want to be a doctor, something non-specific, but with kind of value-driven, I would say, at a very early age. 
Yeah, that's what, I mean, I have a memory. I think it was like, I might be at that time, like between 10 and 12. I have a memory of, of you know, creating a company. Like I would like to create something. But I remember thinking, well, but that's impossible because well, that's very hard because you need to build a factory. Because I, I was I was born in the 70s, mid-70s, so that was the 80s. And at that time, the digital was not as present as today. So to build an organization meant to have a, like a factory or something, a place with busy. At that time, I, I didn't see that as possible. Fair enough. Fair enough. But it's it's good that you've had this. It, I have to say, this is a refreshing answer to to this question because I often tend to get um, kind of specific dreams, as, as I said, as we all we all do. So it's nice to hear that you uh, had that dream. And actually, in a way, leading to what you said, I refer to as a CEO, which thank you for clarifying that, Chief uh, um, Empathy Officer, fantastic title as well. Mm actually kind of links as well, doesn't it? You, you followed on with that, uh, that dream, that idea, that, that mission, that value, however, however you want to describe that in terms of how uh, you do things. Well, business, it's what CyberClick does, is, is one thing, but obviously the, the title that you bear, that, that, you, that, you, that you've got, is in kind of very closely linked to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe that you need to do things related to what you think uh, it's important to you. And, and in my case, creating things is important. And I, I've been directing myself to more as a creating organizations and, and projects, ideas, starting things from scratch. That's something I, I enjoy. And I believe you need to go towards that direction. So for me, it's been always surprising how Many people have that syndrome on Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, where well, they start to feel depressed. And that's something it doesn't go with me. If, I mean, if, if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, I change. I'll try to change. And that goes for a relationship, that goes for a job, that goes for everything I, I do. At least that's what I try. I think life is too short to, to do things that you don't enjoy. And another thing is, I believe that all of us, we have something that makes us unique and special. And it's our duty to find it. You know, I, I have kids and I, I don't know where I heard that phrase, but I always tell them it's, I always ask them and then they have to, they, they answer and I tell them what's the meaning of life. And then it's to find your gift. That's what they answer. But then I say, what's the purpose of life? And it's to give it away, to share it. And I do believe in those kind of things. And that is amazing. That is really amazing uh, to, 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 to hear that, that you've got that with your kids. And, and of course, absolutely, yeah, it's very, very important to, to, to kind of be very intentional about it because we, we often on, on autopilot. And as you were saying about people who on that sun, Sunday afternoon have that dreadful feeling that Monday's coming, this is, this is the funny thing. I've been working within with my own consultancy for a number of years now and for some bizarre reason i still sometimes get that on sundays and mondays although i got full flexibility i don't do one thing at one desk i do multiple things this podcast being one of them uh, consulting coaching all sorts of different variety things in different fields so I've, I've got that which stimulates my personality in terms of being a generalist it really fits in but it's still nonetheless that sunday thing every now and again pops in i don't know whether it's a relic of the past of working the nine to five from Monday to Friday that I still haven't yeah. got out of. 
I would say for me, there are two possible reasons. One that comes to my mind would be that you might as well be doing things that you don't enjoy as much as you think, and that can be solved through searching for someone that can do that job for you. I mean, I'm good in a limited uh, number of things and I'm very bad in a large number of things. So I try to design everything I do oriented to the things that I'm good at, because when, whenever I do things that I'm good at, I typically enjoy them and that gives me energy. Whereas if I have to concentrate on things that I don't enjoy, that drags my energy away. And, and that, that could be a problem. I don't know. That could be one, one thing for you to analyze. And that's something I, I've tried to be, I've been working for that now for several years. The other point and is that we assume that if we do something we love, it's going to be easy, but it's never easy. There are ups and downs. I mean, there are days that I don't enjoy. The thing is the way I look at those days, are those an opportunity to grow? Or are those a nightmare and a, and a painful day? And if you change your, pers your perspective and you see that that difficulty allowed you to grow in a different sense, then, then it's good for, I don't know, for instance, I got recently, I mean, we, we were working in a project and we did an amazing job. It was amazing what we did. The results were incredible, but someone, cause it was, it's a big corporation and we were managing two countries. And someone in the, in the headquarters decided that they wanted to have just one partner for the global company. And even though our local partners were so happy and, and the results were amazing, I mean, we were kicked out of the project and, and it has an impact that I can see that as a, oh, this is a nightmare. It's going to be very hard. Or I can see, well, that can drive us to a new direction to find new ways of doing things, maybe to target a different type of companies and as an opportunity. And I think that's, that's very valuable. I don't know if that's a, you, which one is your case, but those are the two ideas that come to my mind. I would say a, mi a mixture of both. So the first one, definitely, there are tasks that I have to do that I can't wait to, to give away. It's just a question of creating the right process and, and, and find the right people to, to help us. That's definitely in, in the pipeline. And there's, there's a number of some tasks that I have to do, uh, I can do it to a, a really relatively good level. It's just my time is better spent. So I'd rather give it to somebody, somebody else so around marketing, business development, or even potentially mm, around uh, post, uh, post, uh, post editing this uh, production of this podcast after it's been recorded. I love the bit of recording, talking to people like yourself, but the, the work that goes into it afterwards, it's just a little bit tedious. Again, I can do it to a very good level. It's just that it takes time. I'd rather do something else. Yeah. But the Oh, sorry what? to interrupt, but in this sense, my experience as an entrepreneur and someone who tries to enjoy the work is the sooner you pass that job to another one, the happier you will be. And the funny story is that there, there are people that really enjoy and give them energy to do that job. Absolutely. So now you can find them. In, in my case, I do have a podcast. I've been doing a podcast now for six years. I, I don't edit anything. I don't upload anything because that, that would suck my energy. So that's someone is doing that job for me. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. That's, that's definitely, uh, something that's going to happen in the next, next few months. But the other, the other element that you mentioned, the, that, uh, that I can identify with as well, especially around kind of the life of 
of the of the of the job that I'm I'm in, how it goes, the ups and downs, the ups and downs. I I've got grit. I'm a stubborn person. I can persevere through certain things. But sometimes something hits you, it just knocks you for knocks you for six, and it takes you a while to to get up. And I've actually had a couple of experiences like that in the last in the last few weeks, where it's just the reality of the job that I do. Things are going great, you know, fantastic pipeline, and then literally things just kind of out of nowhere just fall through uh, the floor. And it's just dealing with that that mental and emotional resilience. So that, that takes but, a bit of time as well. But that point is very important because, I mean, I, I'm sure that if you look back to the past and let's go back five years back from now, and, and you think of something that impacted you, like maybe had you like a month, a little bit down, now that you see after five years, you can see that that was in fact a blessing. That was something positive that turned out, turned out in new opportunities. And that's something we need to bring to work because when we talk about happiness at work and, and having a great culture and enjoying work, we assume that it's going to be like rah, 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 having a good time, having mojitos. And, and that's not part of life. That's not reality. That's, that's something, it doesn't happen. So we need to be okay. They're going to be ups, they're going to be downs, but the overall is that I'm growing, I'm having an experience, I'm, I'm having a, a life that I enjoy with its ups and downs. It's part of life. It's like you lose someone who's a loved one and, and we need to accept that. And the moment we learn that, and it's very hard, I think our perspective changes and we, it's not that we enjoy it more, it's that you accept what's going on and, and you see not only the negative, but you see as well that behind the negative, there is a positive. Yeah, we, it's, we, we don't live in idealistic scenarios, right? It's, but that's what we kind of often portrayed, as you said, jobs are works about drinking mojitos. The other thing that, as you were saying, that came to my mind is how warped our perception is of romantic relationships, where they're boyfriends, girlfriends, wives, husbands. We expect the similar, to, as you said, with work, that it's going to be easy, right? It's going to be, because that's what we be, that's what we are being fed through books, Instagram and movies. It's all, you know, it's difficult to start and then it's absolutely, absolutely not. It's kind of the opposite. It's constant work. You have to really Really pitch in, contribute. Sometimes you'll have great times, you know, lifelong memories. Other times you will have to put in the effort and it will be on the verge of breaking up, right? So it is, it's, a, it's that give and take, it's that up and down that you're saying, and it's in all aspects of life. And I think having awareness of that and managing to a certain degree that expectation of what it's going to be, that it's not only going to be uh, rainbows and butterflies, uh, but snow, hail and thunderstorm every now and again. It's all part and parcel of, of, of what we do. I'd like to latch on to one thing that you've mentioned around culture and work related, because uh, in a way, that's what we were talking when we first uh, talking about when we first uh, connected. What made me reach out to you is around the culture that you've got at CyberClicks, because you've been recommended to me by a few people to, to, to connect with, and I'm delighted that you uh, had time to, to join us. And you said something to me back then, a few months ago, uh, that really surprised me. And that was that you never had anyone directly responsible for, for culture or a HR officer of, of sorts, which makes sense in a certain way, because culture is something that we all contribute to. It's not that one person does, which is a common misconception, but it's often that organizations, although everybody contributed, there's one person who kind of runs some initiatives around that, but you didn't, you didn't have that. Is there uh, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I'm curious, how how did it work up until now? All the all the years that you've been uh, building CyberClicks. Yeah. So the the idea is that everyone is responsible of the culture. Because if you delegate that to someone, 
now, oh, it's not my job, it's someone else and I'm not responsible and, and we all build a culture. In our case, we, we haven't had a person in charge up to now. So we have now someone, but it's not like you're the culture person. It's like you're the people person. Like, let's make sure that now that uh, the initiative that we want to do as a group, it's not that you decide for the rest. It's like there's someone who has the time to to implement those and take care of those priorities. But up to now, we are now a little bit, almost 80 people. And up to now, we haven't done it. And and the person is in charge is someone who's been in the company for more than 10 years, almost uh, 11. So he's someone who transitioned from uh, managing uh, projects to now being responsible of that parcel. Uh, but it's not in a sense like, okay, you are the one thinking and organizing. It's more like we do that as a collective group. We decide what are the priorities. And at least you are the person who has the time to make sure that we can advance because you need to put rhythm in some initiatives. It's more a person who is supporting culture rather than leading or creating it from, from my understanding. Yeah, that would be fair? Exactly. That's, that's what we plan to do at the end of the day. Uh, we want the culture to be created for everyone who's part of the, of the company. So everyone should contribute that the role and, and we have, we have two people it's, and, and the other one, it's been now in the company, I would say four or five years. And she's been in communication. Now she's doing more the role of recruitment. So it's, uh, doing the interviews and, and these kind of things. But the goal is that, that you are not the person in charge. You are the person who makes sure that the priorities we decide as a group for what would be considered culture or people are being advanced and are being taken as a priority. I'm curious. I'm, I've got two questions for you. I'll, I'll start with the first one. How... And I'll be specific. It's not about the the who, but the what in terms of culture. What was driving the culture before this? Because everybody was contributing, as as you said, which is how culture works. That's as 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 it, as it is. Everybody contributes to culture, whether it's good or positive, good and positive or bad uh, or toxic. Everybody contributes to whatever whatever it is. So, what was the kind of what were the main drivers of culture at CyberClick before it kind of you decided to somewhat find a person to to support some of the efforts? Yeah, for us the way we we started was defining what were the core values, and that's an exercise that allows us to understand the type of people we want to work with and the attitudes towards other peoples and and work. So that was the, the main driver. So we decide our values and um, our three. One is related, we call it admire people. One is related to being more a giver than a taker. Someone who who is part of the, is not always thinking about themselves, but thinks about the rest. And this is the most important one. If we have people that are more givers than takers, everything gets easier in order to create a great culture because now, you have you have people that are going to think of of their peers and and you as a peer would say oh wow if everyone is contributing I, I contribute too and and that's the idea so our culture is based in this principle or this value like it's not about me it's about the others and when we do that everything gets easier 
we have like one principle is if everything goes wrong, it's not because someone was against you or was planning that, that unfortunately we know that happens in many corporations, but it's more because that person was not aware. They always had a good intention. So if something went wrong, now we can have a discussion. Okay. I, I share with you the information and let's see how we can make it better for, for the future. That's, I would say that's the most important value. So in our case, the three core values are the drivers. So we hire according to those values and that's what we check for. And another key point, very important for us in the hiring process, you have a better right. So if there's someone that you don't feel comfortable, you think you are not aligned, you can use that better right and, and we keep searching for someone else. And that's, we think that's important because you are responsible of the people joining the company. You had the chance to use your better right. I mean, if you haven't used it, then it means that probably you like the person and uh, you're going to be fine working with that person. And, and that's another key point of the, of our culture that you decide who's going to work with you and that, that makes you responsible of of the team and the people who are part of the team. I'm curious how, because I think this will be very relevant to, to a lot of people and a lot of organizations, how do you screen for, and I use this word very, very loosely, screen for values or value fit with the candidates yeah. in your particular case? Is it a gut I mean, feeling or? No, no, well, there's a part of gut feeling definitely but what we try to do is spend as much time as possible before deciding. So we, we do several interviews and uh, a couple of them are with the, with the team and they have the chance to interact and to talk and, and, and get a feeling. But then we do as well offline interactions, like a test that they have to complete to see if they are uh, uh, capable uh, technically, if they have the knowledge and we check everything, we check how how you send the email, how you write it, how you are in the conference. Before COVID, we even had a coffee, a breakfast together. And the breakfast was the part of the interview, was the last part and it was like, okay, uh, let's see how things go. And I remember uh, lately we were doing the breakfast at the office, but a few years ago, we used to go to a cafeteria or a restaurant. And I remember there was someone that Everyone was like, okay, we're going, we're moving on. And then after the lunch, people said, no, I don't want to work with that person because he was rude to the, to the waiter. And I mean, it was not a person they wanted to work with, but still you might, I mean, you might not have enough information. So what we do is that we have like a, a process when you join the company. So we review if you fit in the core values after a month. And after four months, and in that period, you as a peer, you have had the chance to interact and, and see if you're aligned with that person. And the impression you had was the correct. So nowadays, the number of times we, we arrive is, is high, but we still, uh, sometimes have someone like after three or four months, we say, well, there's not really a fit. And, and the, the team says, well, we, we don't see that it's going to work. 
I like, I like that. I like that, especially that last bit that you mentioned that you you kind of you 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 basically test it in real life because you can be trying screening and interviewing multiple stages, but until you get to work with the person, interact with the person on a day to day basis to find out what they are, once that uh, to a certain extent, uh, extent uh, intentional unintentional mask falls off, you you see the true person, then you then you can gauge that. And I'm, I'm guessing people are made aware of that. That's kind of what the process is, the probation period, uh, if you will. That's what they said. If you've got both sides aware of that, I think it makes for, for a stronger relationship. That's really, uh, really clever. I like that. I've got a question that was... Yeah, well, just to... to yeah, people are aware, just to give you an example. Some, I mean, sometimes we interview someone, I don't know, that and um, we've got the case like it's been ten years in a company, uh, and obviously if you're gonna if you're going to change and come with us, we need to be all very like sure, right? It's like the risk is high because after three months if it doesn't fit, so we might as well then spend more time together if necessary. But once we make the decision, we go ahead. We typically recruit younger people, so it's not that hard for them to change the company or. It's not that risk, but in other times that we had some time in with it's a big decision, then we try to spend more time together. So let's be sure that it will. Are your teams office based or remote based? What's the setup there and at this moment? Obviously, COVID affected things, but predominantly, how are you running it? No, no, this is remote. We have an office, but just a small number of people attend and, and it's distributed. Before COVID, we had it office based but with total flexibility. So we had an office and uh, you could work remote or, but obviously the majority of people came at least one or two days at the office. It was typically on, on Monday when we had the weekly meeting and we organized a lunch together. And then we had like some practices about culture that we did on Mondays. Nowadays we do everything remote. Okay. Because they, I'm curious because a lot of organizations obviously have had great cultures but they were office based was easier to maintain and they faced a struggle and challenge when when moving to remotes and how to kind of maintain that when everybody's working from their own uh, desks I'd, lo- I'd love to come back to this topic but i've got another question it's sort of a devil's advocate question that i had a discussion with somebody recently and uh, we were talking about culture and how where to start building culture what what to do and as you said value is the most important thing I agree with that. The person said to me that within their organization, at this moment in time, values of the organization is not something that they can focus on for mostly geopolitical reasons uh, related to the situation in Europe, which is to do with Russia, Ukraine, and so on, because they've got offices in different places, got people from different places, right? Uh, So it's a very, very sensitive topic that they decide not to want to address. But at the same time, they want to work on their culture. The geopolitical reasons are not the sole problem here, to make it clear. It's just something that they are very, very mindful of. And I've obviously, I've got my take on that, uh, but I'm curious, how do you see that? What can be done in a situation like that where values is something that is, for the time being, either sensitive or off limits? I think for that corporation, there's an elephant in the room. So the geopolitical reasons is, as you said, is not the problem. There's something going on. Obviously, I don't have no clue, but there's something there. For me, the best way to start is to ask to your team about the culture, what they lack, what they expect, and do it in a way that 
that people start to open little by little, because if you come from a culture where people are afraid to speak, I mean, they wouldn't share what matters most, but if you go step by step and little by little, they will get the confidence and see that speaking up is not something that is going to turn out negative for them, but an opportunity to improve. So what, what I would typically recommend is to send some questions to your team. That's, that's something we did that, okay, let's, let's see what we need to be a happier company. And people start to, to give us ideas. It was anonymous. So you didn't have the pressure like, okay, I might be punished for that. And once we received the, the answers, we start to took some action and there were very, very small things. Like there was someone asking for another microwave because they spend too much time waiting in line for the microwave. And that's something we could do. So we bought it right away. And the message was clear. Like, I mean, if it's something important, if it's going to help you to have a better day and, and have a, a better experience, we're going to do it. Thank you very much for, for sharing your, your view on that. Uh, but also you just said something fantastic that we often think culture is, are these big initiatives, these, these big things. And like what, what makes people happy at work is these big things. And it can be as simple as a second microwave. It's just that it's, it, it's these little touches. It's the thoughtfulness, not big initiatives once every quarter, every six months. It's the tiny little things that we do week in, week out that make the difference. And that's how we all contribute to, to culture, isn't it? And I think that's a fantastic example um, uh, of that uh, happening. Bouncing, bouncing back to culture within CyberClix as well of how you, how, how you do things. And I'm actually curious because you've, you've mentioned that and obviously we're talking about culture a lot and we talk about it directly and it made me think of this analogy that we for anyone who follows sports football in particular there's often a saying that a good referee in the game is one that you don't notice that you can't see you've watched 90 minutes of a football game and you forgot the referee was there because he just lets the play go on managed in such a way that game the football was core focus so the referee wasn't talked about and i'm wondering whether that analogy can to a certain extent be used in relation to culture because i i'm in a lot of meetings i talk to a lot of people about culture like that's the main topic but is that the right way of doing it is it shouldn't culture be that referee is that something that we just do the way we are what we're driven through and by with the values rather than something we talk about what what do you think I think we need to talk about it because we need to align everyone and, and make sure that we understand exactly the same thing. I mean, if we talk about giving more than taking, or if you talk that your culture is frugality, we need to discuss that because for me, it might be very different from what it is for you. So I think there must be a conversation. I think it should be like the core of how we make decisions. But it needs to be discussed. It needs to have happen a lot of conversations before we decide that those are, that's a, our culture. And it could happen that it evolves within time. So now you need to adjust that. I think there are some principles that should stay forever, at least for a very long period of times, but some others, you might change it depending on on the people who are part of the company or the way you want to grow or work. 
But I think it has to be an important part of the organization. Agreed. I think talking talking about the things that you've mentioned, how we do things and what what's important and what's not working, what's working, it it, it needs to take place. What I often find is that uh, there's a lot of talk and little action. And I think that's where lots of teams, people, organizations, or any level really kind of stall. It's, it's easier to, to talk rather than to do or live values, which is, that's the other thing that I, I see. Probably must have seen that as well, that values yeah, are often posters on the wall. That, that, that's the topic you've mentioned now. It's a, a good one. I mean, if I, I, I'm sure you have done it, but if you check Netflix, uh, culture document, it was very popular, like maybe 10 years ago or more. They give the example of Enron. Enron had, uh, one of the core values was, I don't know if it was honesty or it was something related to what they didn't do. Right. So, I mean, if you have a core values, but you are not leaving them, then it's, I think it's even worse than not having core values. It's better not to have, because if you have them and then you are doing exactly the contrary. The message that you're sharing with your team is that, well, this is just a marketing tool. I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and that's an important thing. I mean, sometimes you need to take some actions that are going to be a pain for the bottom line, but are going to be aligned in the long term. They're, they're going to be good, but in the short term, it's going to be painful. In our case, we've quit some projects that we were not aligned with and we're creating a lot of conflict for our people. And so we decided to quit them and, and that meant to lose revenue and to have less resources. But if we want to be coherent, we had to take that decision. I find that values often you, and you said that yourself is that they are kind of a marketing tool to attract people either clients or, or talent into the organization they use as a, as a kind of uh, PR uh, exercise. And I can't help the feeling that sometimes they are aspirations of what we want it to be rather than what drives us, what we are. And, and this is where that living the values really, really comes in. And this, you, you're talking about some of the projects that you, you, you didn't take or, or you exited reminded me of many, many years ago when I was still interviewing for, for, for jobs. One of my favorite questions I used to ask the, 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 the potential employer was, have you ever had projects from clients that came in through the door that you said no to because they just, they didn't work on a, on a culture on value level. And I love that question because it really showed me what the company is about. And I've seen so many people on the interview panel squirm and go like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. They didn't clearly did not expect, didn't know what to say. And for me, that was straight away an indicator. Okay, thank you. You just you just gave me what I needed. And that is a sign that I'm we probably wouldn't be a fit. That I would do a good job, but probably wouldn't enjoy it in the long long term. And that would impact everything else along the along the way. So I think that's a um, a good way of approaching this as well. Yeah, I mean it's important to leave the values. There's one point that I would say is the moment you fire a project or a client, or more important, the moment you fire someone for the values. And it's not that the person is a bad person, it's that the person doesn't fit. But if you allow someone who doesn't fit to be in the company against the values, the messaging that you are giving is like, well, the values don't care. It's only the results. And and I think it's a good indicator for your peers, like, okay, that person is, is not a bad person, but it doesn't, doesn't fit here. We're going to help her 
look for another job, <clears throat> but cannot keep working in the in this company. No, that is that is very true. It's it's not a personal thing. It's about having that discussion, being in the right space, putting that person in the that space, inviting them in that space where, listen, this is not a reflection of you as a person. Uh, it, this is just it's not a match as any other relationship right but we yeah. it, it's very difficult for us to have these conversations on an individual level with our friends with our partners or ex-partners these are always painful conversations and to a certain extent understandable uh, but it's really important to, to have them rather than just kind of plowing into something that we we don't feel satisfied fulfilled or things that really feel that work as well as they uh, should be understood as well as we would like them to maybe it's probably a better way of uh, looking at uh, looking at that so you've got a new person that's started with you uh, what's ahead of you then in that in that sense what are some of the initiatives how is that person going to bed themselves into the organization what do you think is kind of what are you looking forward to maybe let's put it this way yeah so for us there are several things one is we wanted to improve the 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 way people was onboarding the company because now we onboard uh, 100% remote and, and we have some practices like having a virtual coffee with several teams, but we wanted to improve the the onboard. Another part, we have a, like a meeting every two weeks for the people that joined the company, at least for the first year. So that's an important meeting because we talk about culture and how we do things. Another key point is now that everyone is remote, we will, I mean, we were doing that in the past before COVID, that was we did. Uh, twice a year, a retreat where we left the office and, and went for two or three days of uh, discussing where we're going, what's working, what's not working, doing some personal exercises to self-awareness and improve, and then having some time for parties and activities. That's something we need to take care of. And obviously now it's getting more difficult than it was organizing for 30 people. It's not the same, that's almost for 80. So that's uh, going to be a responsibility of, of that person, like making sure that everything is happening and, and then manage the, the growth. I mean, since we're growing, it's like, okay, let's see how we need to, to adapt. Let's, well, one important point is to spend time with uh, everyone and talk to everyone and, and get feedback and get ideas because that's something I was doing in the past. I mean, every, I would say at least every year or twice a year, I, I had a one-on-one -on -one to everyone and, and that was possible to do when, when we were up to 30, but afterwards it's, it's very hard. I mean, you cannot do it. So to have someone who can spend the time, who can pick, pick up the ideas and then share it with the rest, I think that's important. I'm curious, why did, what was the motivation behind wanting to spend time? Why, why do you think it's important? When you, when first, when you are remote, it's more difficult to have those informal conversations and you need to find the, the time to, to have them. And many times in those informal conversations, there are some, something like, oh, that's, uh, something we need to, to resolve and work on that. And then, cause not everyone is, uh, Extrovert uh, is going to share their opinion openly in, in a meeting with 40, 50 or 80 more people. It's some people need their one-on-one -on -one to have the, the time to, to talk and, and we think that's important. And, and at the same time, that conversation is an opportunity to, to explain how we do things, how we, 
how we think, how we have improved for someone and you joining the team. It's true that we have some practices that allow us to, to do that. For instance, we have the traffic light that we check every week. So that's an opportunity to, to see if you are red or yellow, what's going on, what affected you. But for someone new, and depending on the organization they come, even though we explain that, and it might be hard, like, okay, I'm having a hard time and I don't want to share it, right? So to have the one-on-one can allow us to, to improve that. And then the other topic we have every week in that uh, traffic light meeting, we, we ask everyone to share at least one example of the core values that we have. And, and that's a practice that just when you join the company, the first week you, you listen to uh, more than 70 examples of core values. And then the following week, 70 more. And so within a few weeks, you've heard many, many examples of, of core values. So you get an idea of what is important here. Oh, that's some really good, really good initiatives. And uh, I like the fact, as you said, that you, you want to connect because especially it's in remote uh, environments, more, more difficult. And it reminded me of how often a good mark of a, a mark of a good leader, whatever level you are, a good person as well, actually, to be fair, is asking somebody how they're doing and actually caring about the answer rather than just, you know, walking past somebody's desk here, how you doing and not even stopping to, to listen to the answer, which I think is, is a good mark of, of a person. This is a great point. I mean, what type of uh, leader you are, or even what type of person, if you don't care about uh, the people you're spending so many time together. And I mean, I think it's important and obviously we are all, we all have a lot of things to do and maybe now you don't have time, but to ask from time to time and see how the person is, I think is very important. Now it shows some humanity. You're not a number. I mean, if I can't imagine being a, a leader and don't caring about the people you work with. And neither can I. Unfortunately, I see it quite often, but it's within this environment. And again, I don't blame anyone because it's not about that. It's just about that the... It, it's the environment that we're in, it's the organizations that we create, that they are so high paced and so high stressed, that people feel as if they don't have the time to do that, which is kind of, it's a big shame, apart from, of course, it's being very, very kind of backwards, because that's kind of the basis of it, that, that interaction, what, what long, for the long term makes things better. But, uh, but I, I don't agree. I mean, if you are a leader and you don't care about, about your people, first of all, I think it's going to be bad in the long term. I think in the future, people will care about uh, the companies they buy from. And, and if our companies that people are numbers, maybe they start to, to switch their minds and, okay, I want to work with companies that value people. And, but the second is your responsibility. I mean, if you are a leader and the only thing you care is the end result and you don't care about people and you can change them one from the other, I think it doesn't make you a leader. Right? I mean, that. You, you could be a leader in the past that way, because in the past people were really numbers and, and they didn't have to bring their knowledge. I mean, you were moving boxes, so I don't share it, but, but if you just were treating them as a number, okay, it could work. And nowadays it doesn't work. So I, I think it's your responsibility if you want to be someone leading that, okay, my first priority is educate myself about how to care about people and. And yeah, and try to have better relationships. 
No, I couldn't agree more with you because the, the business practices that we use these days in many, organiza many organizations are the ones that we used to use 40, 50 years ago, developed for diff in different times, for different times, as you said, different industries and different environments. Uh, but we continue using them and people need, uh, not just want, need different things uh, from their work uh, environment. So what I was referring to is when you have potentially a leader who does want who does share the view that you and I share, but just feels a, a, a tiny cog in a huge machine that they don't have the ability to do that, to influence things. Yes, they can change something within their close proximity, but for a longer term, it's that it's that the environmental pressure of the organization, and I'm mostly referring to, to big, big corporations, I guess, uh, but I've seen it in smaller ones as well. So it's not exclusive, but it's big corporations that have that environment that people feel. But like let's that. talk about this. I mean, if you could make your team at least, okay, our company's a mess. Everyone has a culture that generates fear and, and people are not enjoying their work, but okay, we're a team of 10. Let's do our team like an, an island where we, at least when we are together, we enjoy what we do and, and we have a good time. And then what's the other point? The other point is why people are all, all, only looking for the results is because they are afraid. And then you are afraid of what? Of losing your job, of, I don't know, being fired or, or not being promoted. And, and then that has to do with your capacity, right? I mean, and, and, and the, the way companies work too, but if you care for your people, right, I think you have more chances to be successful. So even if you want to be like, okay, I'm just going to be, it's going to be only for me, not for the people, but if you care about them, probably when you are in a difficult spot, they're going to help you. Whereas if you are mean to them, you have no support people on top of you. They're not going to support you and people uh, uh, below you, they're not going to support you neither. Now, that is true that, that organizations uh, need to rethink a little bit the way we do things. I mean, I was talking a few days ago with a manager and he's, he's in, his, in his 50s and he was telling me, well, I know my days are going to be over in a while because there's no one older than 60 working for this corporation. Now, I think that's a problem. I mean, because if you know that, okay, they're going to get rid of me because I just turned 60, then you are afraid, right? And it's, it's normal that then you, you might take a, a type of action that wouldn't be normal. If we could, can create companies like, okay, let's, even though you're 60, you're still someone capable and, and we're going to keep you and maybe we change the way we work, but we're going to try to, to build together other than just extract from you. And then once we cannot extract more, then we let you go. No doubt. We've got more agency over what's going on in our closest environment than we often realize or want to admit or uh, maybe because it's simply because it's kind of because it's easier to deal with that. But leaders or individual individuals can can change that. And I've had examples. I've worked within organisations where we there was there was there was a big organisation where the culture could be classified loosely as not great or slightly toxic. But then you had little pockets, little small teams where you know they were performing really well and they had a good environment. They were clearly enjoying what they were doing, despite the wider environment and the question is how was how and what was happened it was that there was a manager or a leader somebody who managed to create that within that space and the 
the way it worked is then people are asking, kind of looking at that team and going, oh, what's going on there? How they've managed that, right? What's going on? What basically, what are they on? What are, what drugs are they on? That was was the question. But it's 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 funny how how that works and it's possible. And then that it just proves that it just takes one or two people to look around and think, okay, well, how can we change things? What can we do, right, as a collective? And I think this is where the the definition of leadership uh, is. Um, misunderstood maybe to a certain extent is that we think leader is somebody who's in in a position of being a leader that they are a manager they manage a team that makes them a leader whilst you can very easily expand that and i think we should more often than than we do is that a leader is somebody who decides i've got an idea i think we can change things i've got an idea how we can improve that who's with me and doing things and people finding that's that's leader and that doesn't have to be that can be an individual an individual contributor from an organizational point of view right so that's kind of how how things work as well we started on a personal note i'd like to close this off on a so, somewhat personal note what are you excited about for you individually i don't know e either in your work life in your private life uh, what's what have you got coming up in the next few months that you're really really looking forward to maybe some results of things that you've been devoting your time to over the past few months what is it for me mainly is yeah the the growth that we are experiencing so that we can manage that properly and that we can keep with the culture that's something important and then in in our case as a family we are now based in the uk so we might as well change location so that's something we we're looking forward to see exactly what we'll do so far we're having a great time here that's 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 really good to hear. I'd love to connect with you uh, again in the future to see how things are going for for you personally, for you as a, a chief empathy officer, to see how kind of the culture is developing. Because I think I think having that sort of transition from it being everybody's responsibility as it should be, then having somebody who is supporting, facilitating it a little bit more, how that's going to change and develop in the future, going to remote with your growth. I think that will be a fascinating case. So I'll I'll be extending an invitation to you sometime in the future for sure. But for the time being, David, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for, for taking the time and joining me here today. Thanks to you. It's been a pleasure and willing to come back. It's me again. Just one more thing before you take off. Head over to human.pm forward slash we got this. That's all one word where you can find this and previous episodes show notes, suggest a guest or topic, ask a question or join the community of other listeners. Until next time.